This Saturday at noon, fourth-ranked Florida State visits Clemson. Walters is your spot for all FSU football games this fall. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Kick of the 3-1 offering. Swing and a drive, left field, well hit. Call broke in. It's going to be back and over his head and to the wall. Olsen will jog in. Heading to second is Harris, and it's 4-0 Atlanta. And the Braves have a four spot on the board of this inning. Face Matt Olsen, the Braves' first baseman, leading off the eighth inning. You know the wind in the pitch. Swung on in line, deep to left, down the line, toward the corner. Going, going, and gone goodbye. An opposite field line drive home run. For Matt Olson on the first pitch of the eighth inning. New Braves single season franchise record for home runs in a season with everyone that he hits. That is number 53. And the Braves now lead it by the score of 8 to 1. And welcome to Nats Chat for Friday, September 22nd, 2023. I'm Al Galdi, host of the Al Galdi podcast. Mark Zuckerman is off for this installment of the pod, but I am joined by the boss of the pod, Tim Shovers. So new ownership for the Washington Commanders has meant a new beginning for the relationship between the Commanders and the Nationals. The two teams have not exactly been the best of friends over the years, uh, thanks mainly to the Commanders' previous lead owner, Dan Snyder, and the Nats' current managing principal owner, Mark Lerner, not getting along. But as you may have heard, Dan is no longer the owner of the Commanders. Josh Harris now is the team's managing partner. And so we, on Thursday night at Nationals Park, had Commanders Night at the park, including Harris throwing out the ceremonial first pitch. He and Mark Lerner, by the way, talked quite a bit, was Nice to see that, but it was not nice to see what ended up happening in the actual game. A 10-3 loss to the major league leading Atlanta Braves in game one of a four-game series. What we feared could happen did happen, a beatdown of the Nats. This Nats chat episode is brought to us by the Umpscare Charities East Coast Golf Classic, which is taking place Monday, October 16th at the beautiful Westfields Golf Club in Clifton, Virginia, with former umpire Sam Holbrook as the honorary guest. Visit umpscare.com for more information. So the Nats now are 7-17 and over their last 24 games. Now for the season are 68-86, third worst record in the National League, run differential of minus 138. That is the second worst run differential in the National League. The Braves for this season are an amazing Major League Best 98-55 and with a Major League Best run differential of plus 225. 
The 2023 Braves are a machine. And Tim, the uh, Nats on Thursday night experienced that machine up close. Yeah, Jake Irvin couldn't even make it out of the third inning. It just seems like this Braves lineup goes for days. It has zero holes in it. Ronald Acuna Jr. seemed like he was up every single inning. Got six at-bats. Him and Albies apiece tonight. Al, I've been watching Atlanta Braves baseball for 30 years. I've seen about 20 division titles. This is the best Braves team I've ever seen in the regular season. Yeah, I wanted to ask you that because uh, for those who don't know, Tim Shovers grew up as a Braves fan. Your dad's a big Braves fan, right? Well, he grew up a Milwaukee Braves fan. Now he's a Brewers fan. He kept the Milwaukee ties. Uh, Yes, there have been many good Braves teams over the years, as you well know. But this team seems something different. And, you know, we'll see what happens in the postseason. I mean, of course, there are no guarantees come October, especially now with the expanded postseason. But yeah, this team is incredible offensively. The Braves on Thursday night, 10 runs, 18 hits, four walks, six for 23 with runners in scoring position. And the overall season numbers for the Braves offensively, Major League Best 293 home runs, Major League Best OPS of 844, Major League Best slugging percentage of 501, Major League Best on base percentage of 343, Major League Best batting average of 275. I mean, on and on we can go with what this team is doing offensively. It really is something. And you mentioned Jake Irvin. I got to tell you, I was hoping that Irvin was going to go out there and pitch well, because it would have been so much fun to talk about that. Jake Irvin, right? This surprising success story continues. This oh-so-pleasant surprise continues, takes down the Mighty Braves, or at least pitches well against the Mighty Braves. I mean, if he had pitched well, but the Nats had lost, okay, whatever. But unfortunately, Irvin did not pitch well. He has been such a bright spot for the Nats this season, but he got ripped. Five runs in two and two-thirds innings. He gave up seven hits, a triple Two doubles and four singles. He issued three walks. He recorded one strikeout. He overs two and two-thirds innings through 80 pitches, 46 strikes versus 34 balls. What's funny is that Irvin tossed two scoreless innings. He actually started off to where you said to yourself, hey, maybe he is going to actually put forth a halfway decent, if not good outing against the Braves. But then Irvin, like you said, did not make it out of the top of the third. He allowed five runs in the top of the third on a triple, two doubles, and three singles. That's the thing. You can think that you're doing okay against this Braves team, and then the team can, you know, smack you across the face and tell you, no, you're not doing okay. It's just you're getting quicksand right away, and uh, it's like, okay, here's the leadoff hitter with 39 homers and now 68 stolen bases, and then the cleanup hitter just set a record for single season for most home runs for a franchise that's literally been around since 1871. Uh, It's really historic, but Al, as you know, you alluded to talking about the playoffs, Come October 2nd, their record will be 0-0, and and Braves do not want to play the Philadelphia Phillies, by the way. I know our listeners probably want to get off the Braves, but this team might be done in two weeks because you never know with the division series how it works out. Well, look, we saw last year in the National League, you had three 100-win teams in the regular season. Not a single one made the NLCS, so no doubt what you do over the 162 is great, but uh, guarantees nothing come October. So, You know, I don't think we really put too much stock into what happened with Irvin on Thursday night. I think he still has been a big bright spot. You know, would you have liked for him to have pitched better against the Braves? Yes, but I'm not going to really hold this against him that much. He has not had many starts along these lines since he had that start skipped months ago and, you know, turned his season around since then. Last two outings now have not been great. If you recall, his last outing, 
was kind of that bizarro outing in which he was pitching well and then all of a sudden was not pitching well. And so the final line ended up not being so good. Talking about what happened in a 5-3 loss at the uh, National League Central leading Milwaukee Brewers last Friday night, September 15th, four runs in four and two-thirds innings. Irvin threw four and two-thirds scoreless innings, but then gave up back-to-back home runs to the final two batters he faced in what ended up being a four-run Brewers fifth. But, you know, Irvin has had a good season. You know, presumably he'll make, uh, what, I guess uh, one more start, I guess, if you do the math with what's left in this season. But, uh, I mean, looking at him, where do you have him among like the bright spots of this Nat season? He's coming off a bad outing. So this maybe isn't like the perfect time to have this conversation. But, you know, as the season is winding down, these are the types of conversations we're having on the show. How do you view him in terms of Nat's bright spots this season? Well, I actually think it's a really appropriate time to talk about it because even though he didn't pitch well tonight, I'm willing to give him a pass because, like, frankly, this team needs a day off desperately. This season just needs to end. And he so exceeded my previous expectations that I'm willing to let his final few starts go as long as he's ready to go in West Palm next spring. To your question, though, Al, to me, he is it's either him or Abrams for the best storyline of 2023, in my opinion. The only reason why it's up for debate, because obviously what C.J. Abrams has done is so fantastic. He's a legitimate leadoff hitter. He can steal 30-plus bases. There's power there that we maybe didn't see at first. Like The C.J. Abrams stock is obviously soaring here. But I lean towards pitching often, and Jake Irvin now is a legitimate piece of the rotation as we look towards 2024. And because of him, we might not have to have Trevor Williams in the rotation next year. Like I think he is really maybe the best spot of this entire year because it seemed like pitching-wise, once Cavalli went down, it's like, well, they have Gordon Gray, and that's it. And then Irvin kind of came out of nowhere. He did, and I think that's why you could make the case for him as the number one bright spot because he has injected himself into the conversation in a way that nobody else has. I mean, Regardless of what C.J. Abrams did this season, he was going to continue to be a part of the conversation with the Nats moving forward. This was not like some make or break year for C.J. Abrams. I think the other thing, too, is when you look at the candidates for biggest bright spot for the Nats this season, Irvin, C.J. Abrams, Josiah Gray, Mackenzie Gore, all of these guys have done good things. But there has been enough bad with each guy. You know, some of them, there's been a good bit of bad lately to where it's not crystal clear like who you have is the biggest bright spot because there's a lot to sort of take in and digest with each guy. I mean, with Irvin, the overall numbers on the season, 24 starts, ERA of 461, whip of 142. Those numbers don't floor you. But again, as we've talked about with Irvin, there was his bad start at the major league level. Then the start got skipped and then everything changed after that. So yeah, I mean, the fact that he has made himself a factor and, you know, at this point would seem to be a pretty near certainty for the uh, season opening rotation for next year. That's a big time change from uh, where we were with him prior to this season. You know, when he got called up and I think, correct me if I'm wrong, I think the only reason why he got called up was it happened to be his spot in the rotation in the minors and they needed someone to fill in in early May. So I came up, I figured he'd be gone soon. Had a great outing, his second one in San Francisco, and was like, okay, maybe there's something here, which leads me to a point, Al, of you asked what would be the biggest bright spot of the year, and obviously it's Irvin and Abrams, and we could talk about, you know, Gray's first half and all this stuff, but a nice little bonus would be if Rutledge has another good outing before the end of the year, because you talk about that 2024 rotation. If we get a really good outing from Rutledge against one of these powerful lineups, whether it's the Orioles or the Braves, That could also be something to smile about going into the spring. 
Would be nice. Uh, very much so. Want to see more of Rutledge. And uh, yeah, I'm with you. Absolutely want to see him do well. So we had Jake Irvin as an ad starting pitcher on Thursday night. And then we had the Nats bullpen. Three Nats relievers combined to allow five runs in six into third innings. Andres Machado won in a third scoreless innings. Jose A. Ferrer a run in a third of an inning. He faced four batters, but got just one out. And then we had Corey Abbott pitching the rest of the game. And Corey Abbott, to me, ended up having one of the best bad outings that you'll ever see. Consider his line. Four runs in four and two-thirds innings. Bad. Gave up eight hits, two home runs, two doubles, and four singles. Bad. And yet, (laughs) he had eight strikeouts versus no walks. That's excellent. And he over 71 pitches through a staggering 58 strikes versus 13 balls. So this really was like bizarro world. He had the really bad, and then he had the really good. And it all came together in this one outing. So if ever you have to give up four runs in four and two-thirds innings, this is how you want to do it. Eight strikeouts versus no walks, 71 pitches, 58 strikes versus 13 balls. Abbott did give up a home run by Matt Olson, top of the eighth, a leadoff first pitch, opposite field homer by Olson to left field for an 8-1 Braves lead. That homer, Matt Olson's major league leading 53rd home run of this season. But, you know, you mentioned it. The Nats have not had an off day, it feels like, since May. They finally are going to have a scheduled off day come Monday. Although, I don't know, there's supposed to be rain throughout this weekend. So if somehow the Nats and Braves cannot get all four of these scheduled games in before the end of Sunday, I wonder if maybe on Monday you end up having some sort of a a makeup game between these two teams. I hope not for the Nats' sake, but we'll see. But yes, it has been a rough go of it with these uh, lack of off days. It has been a rough go of it with Davey Martinez having to lean on the bullpen so much. And you do wonder with the remaining three games of this series, how much more leaning on the bullpen we're going to have to see from Davey. Glad you brought up this off day thing, Al. And I know like in baseball, you're never allowed to complain, but I'd like to complain on behalf of the Washington Nationals right now. And for the sake of common sense here, I believe in the CBA, it's something like you can't go over 20 days in a row and the union has to sign off on it for a team to play more than 20 days in a row. But 17 games in 17 days is ridiculous. In this stretch, they will have taken three different flights. I know work-life balance and baseball are not associated with each other, but this is absurd. And we're coming into this, which is a fun four-game series to wrap up the year, and it just sort of bleeds into it because there's no off day. Sometimes you just have too much product. I'd love if there's a way where I know this it's impossible to come up with a schedule, but after it spits out, if there's a way to logically then tinker things to buy a few more off days in here, even if that means day-night doubleheaders, because I just don't think this is the way to go. Well, it's not ideal, that's for sure. I mean, there are a variety of reasons for this, among them that the Nats have this upcoming two-game series with the Orioles, and you have that just like dropped into the final week of the regular season. And so you, in the final week of the regular season, get two off days, which is like the last time (laughs) that you need two off days, right? Like the season's about to end. You don't need two off days in the final week of the regular season. You may recall the Nats had this uh, earlier this season when they played the Orioles in a two-game series, two off days in a single week. And actually, the last time that we were talking about the Nats having some off days, they had a week in which they had two off days. So that has happened to them within uh, recent weeks here. Yeah, looking at the schedule, September 4th, which was a Monday, and September 7th, which was a Thursday. The Nats were off on both of those days. So it's odd. The off days have been bunched together. That's not what you want. You rather would have them spread out. I personally 
don't like the interleague games in September. I think Nats Orioles in September is kind of bizarre. Like I like how the NFL now puts division games over the final few weeks of the regular season so that, you know, you're in theory concluding your seasons with games between teams vying for division titles. I would like to see MLB make more of a concerted effort to do that. Like, you know, every game for the Nats in September is a National League East game. I think that would make a lot more sense than having, you know, Nats Orioles and Nats Brewers and Nats White Sox in September. Like, <laughs> who needed to see the Nats and the White Sox this week? I don't know. I thought that was strange. But yeah, you know, the Players Association isn't a big fan of uh, doubleheaders, so I don't know how likely that is. I don't think the owners are big fans of doubleheaders. But I mean, I'm with you. What the Nats are in the midst of here, and no one's playing the violin for the Nats. These players travel in ways that most of us can only dream. These players get treated in ways that most of us can only dream. But I just think from a product standpoint, 17 consecutive days without an off day, it's not good. You know, like there's a better way to do this. And um, it's been strange because the Nats have had a few of these stretches this season where they've had, they've gone like two plus weeks without a scheduled off day. So that has not been something that uh, you normally see with a team. Yeah, I mean, a stretch of three straight weekends without an off day in between is just too much for the players, especially in an era where starters don't go as long and you need more middle relief and more bullpen action. So that's why I think it's extra sensitive to this time we're at in baseball. But with that, Al, uh, we haven't really had a podcast nickname this year. We First year we had Secret Weapon, and then we had Joey Fourbags. This isn't a very good one, but Corey Abbott, a little bit of a janitor. Can we call him the janitor this year? I mean, looking at his game log this year, he threw three innings on June 18th. He threw three innings on July 4th. He threw two and a third uh, later on July 14th. And, you know, he threw two and a third on September 18th and then four and two thirds here today. His job is to do mop-up duty, which is fine. Someone has to do it. But that guy is Corey Abbott. Oh, yeah. I mean, look. With the score of this game, with the state of the Nats bullpen, with the lack of off days, you knew that uh, Abbott was riding that horse until it dropped on uh, Thursday night. I mean, that game was Corey Abbott's no matter what happened. And like I said, I mean, he at least made you think with what he did with the eight strikeouts and no walks and throwing all of those strikes. This Nat Chat episode is brought to you by Umps Care Charities East Coast Golf Tournament hosted by MLB umpires Brendan Miller and Chris Siegel. Monday, October 16th at Westfields Golf Club in Clifton, Virginia with special guest Sam Holbrook, retired MLB umpire who worked the 2019 World Series when, of course, the Nats won it all. Register now on our website, give.umpscare.com for more information. Proceeds support the delivery of 100 Build-A-Bear furry friends to kids at Children's National Hospital in D.C. Hey guys, it's Al Galdi here to tell you about another great deal being offered right now by Window Nation to listeners of the Nats Chat Podcast. Window Nation is offering you even more. When it comes to new windows, Window Nation always gives you more, but now Window Nation is giving you even more, more. <laughs> the more windows that you buy, the more that you save up to 50% off, plus a lot more. Pay nothing for two full years. Another amazing deal on the great windows that Window Nation can provide to listeners of the Nats Chat Podcast. Save up to 50% with the purchase of a house of windows. You know, even given what has been happening with interest and mortgage rates, Window Nation still is keeping 0% interest for two years. 
Call 866-90NATION or visit windownation.com. That's 866-90NATION or windownation.com and tell Window Nation that you want the great deal that you heard about from Al Galdi on the Nats Chat Podcast. Again, the more windows that you buy, the more that you save up to 50% off, plus you pay nothing for two full years. That's 866-90NATION or windownation.com. And make sure that you tell Window Nation that Al Galdi from the Nats Chat Podcast sent you. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Free to long stare into the catcher. Now the lefty brings it. And a swing and a long drive to left, down the line toward the corner. If it's fair, it's gone, and it is fair. Just inside the foul pole, a line drive home run for Alex Call. As the Nationals on the board, it's 5-1 Atlanta. Number eight on the season for Call. A liner right down the left field line that just stayed fair. It didn't hook. As for the Nats offense in this 10-3 loss to the Braves on Thursday night, the Nats scored three runs, totaled eight hits, worked three walks, went two for five, with runners in scoring position. The uh, eight hits were comprised of a solo homer and seven singles. Not exactly the kind of firepower that you need to beat the Braves. But here's another quirky thing to this game from Thursday night. The Nats' best hitter in this game against the mighty Braves ended up being Alex Call. (laughs) I mean, go figure, right? Alex Call statistically has been arguably the Nats' worst batter this season. And yet he, in this game against the best team in baseball, was the Nats' best batter. Give him credit. Nats starting left fielder, number eight batter, two for three, with a solo homer, a single, and a walk. Call in a Nats one-run third, a solo homer to left field on a 1-2 pitch to cut the Nats' deficit to 5-1. Call in the bottom of the fifth had a two-out single to left center field. And Call in a Nats two-run ninth drew a one-out walk. So, Good for Alex Call. At least he produced because uh, multiple key Nats did not produce in this game. C.J. Abrams has the Nats starting shortstop and number one batter 0 for 5. Kevin Ruiz has the Nats starting DH and cleanup batter 0 for 4 with two strikeouts. Joy Manessis has the Nats starting first baseman and number three batter 0 for 4 with two strikeouts. He actually got some production from the bottom half of the lineup, but the uh, upper half did not uh, shoulder its end of the load. No, it did not. But good to see a bunch of guys getting two hits apiece, including Luis Garcia. I'm rooting for him to you know, win back the job and have it firmly in hand when we begin next year. It is funny seeing Alex call homer. It's been a while. And then another thing with the offense, it seems like every route when they're getting clobbered, 
ninth inning, then all of a sudden they, they put together a big rally. Now I get it. They're probably facing a bad pitcher, and that's what happens. But it's just it gets really old really quickly when you see no hitting for eight innings constantly, and then the ninth thing, just useless barrage. Yeah, the Nats have had a good number of these like meaningless ninth inning rallies in recent years. And you know, look, I, I guess you credit the team for not just quitting on the game because some teams will do that. You know, those those tap out in a blowout loss, and you know, quick at bats, and you know, let's get out of here and you know, go home or go back to the hotel. And, you know, the Nats at times have been guilty of quick outs late in games, but they do have this thing of when they're down like, you know, 9-1, 10-1, and you're going into the ninth, it's actually a pretty sure bet that the final score will not be that. It'll it'll be like, you know, 10-3, like it was on Thursday night, or 9-3, something like that. The Nats have had a penchant for doing that, but did score the two runs in the ninth inning. Drew Millis uh, in that two-run ninth, a one-out RBI single to cut the deficit to 10-2. Millis as an ad starting catcher on Thursday night, uh, and number seven batter, two for four with an RBI single and another single. So, you know, obviously, we shall see uh, what takes place the rest of this four-game series for the Nats against the Braves. Uh, rain is all over the forecast for this weekend. Sounds like Friday night should be okay. Game two is Friday night at 7.05. The real concern is the game on Saturday, the rare 1.05 p.m. Saturday game for the Nats. Uh, rain is all over the forecast for Saturday. And then Sunday projects to have a good bit of rain, too. That's a 1.35 p.m. start. So, look, hopefully the games get in. It was just a few weekends ago that uh, we had the entirety of a three-game series for the Nats just ravaged by rain, that uh, three-game series against the Los Angeles Dodgers at Nationals Park, September 8th through the 10th. When the Nats face good National League teams at Nationals Park at weekend series this September, rain apparently has to be a factor. But with this commander's thing, it really is something because for people like me who grew up in this area and are, you know, big time fans of the area teams, you know, someone like you, I mean, I know you didn't grow up in this area, but you've been here for a long time. The relationship between the NFL team of Washington, D.C. and the MLB team of Washington, D.C. has been strained, okay? It has not been good. This is something that really hadn't been talked about out in the open for a while, and then now more recently has become something that has been out in the open in part because of a revelation that came out in actually a Congress's investigation of Dan Snyder and the football team. Not to get too deep in the weeds, but one of the things that came out was a story about Dan Snyder pouring milk in the FedEx field suite of the learners because Dan was upset at the learners because he felt like the learners made him overpay for, I believe it was uh, an expanded parking lot near FedEx Field. It's one of these really bizarre stories that is so bizarre, it has to be true because nobody could make something like that up. And it actually fits Dan to a T that he would do something like that. So, you know, there's been this very strange relationship between the NFL team of DC and the baseball team of DC for a long time. That certainly seems to be a thing of the past. I mean, if you watched any of what Josh Harris did on Thursday night, he and Mark Lerner were like two peas in a pod. They were hanging out. They were talking. Josh Harris right now is the man in Washington, D.C. He's being treated like a king, and uh, I think rightfully so. I think him and his ownership group so far have done an excellent job with the commanders. But what do you make of what could be a... uh, blossoming relationship between the commanders and the Nats. I think this is something that could benefit both franchises. I'm happy to see this. I had a big smile on my face tonight, Al, seeing some of the football beat reporters there, seeing some football fans there. I believe in local town synergy. I think Philadelphia is the masters at it. Chicago's really good at it. I've always thought DC's bad at uniting the fan bases. I think it actually is really important. 
my guess is this is the closest that the Washington baseball and Washington football teams have been since the 60s or early 70s. And my gut is that when Bob Short bought the Senators, he just didn't get along with football ownership. I have no proof to that. That's just a gut feel. So, like, we're talking over 50 years since the two teams have maybe even got along because, obviously, D.C. didn't have a baseball team forever. I'm sure a lot of the Nats fans who hate the football team hate that I'm saying this. I do ask you, though, Nats fans who hate the football team, I know it's instinctual, and I know you're used to it, and I know it's just been nonstop nonsense for years, but I do hope you do reevaluate it and think that it's nice for the fan bases to unite, because as I say, Al, I think it's been too contentious since I've moved here, and I think it's very off-putting, and I think there's a lot of room to grow. Yeah, I mean, the reasons that that tension has existed are many. I've seen a lot of this, uh, and it's hard to like boil it down to one or two things, but you know, part of it is, you know, you had no baseball team in DC for a really long time, right? 1972 through 2004. And it was during that time that the Redskins became a really big deal. And so if you were becoming a big Skins fan in the 70s or 80s or 90s, the Orioles were the team of Washington, D.C., or at least got covered like the team of Washington, D.C. So what you have actually are a lot of combo Skins O's fans and not necessarily people who are from this area and who are Skins fans, who are Commanders fans, are actually also Nationals fans. Like there's a split. Like, yes, there are a good number of Commanders Nats fans, but there also are a good number of Commanders O's fans. So I think that that's part of it. I think that you have with the Nats a decent number of people who aren't from this area, they come to this area, they embrace the Nats, but they haven't embraced the football team because the football team has not been very good. And certainly with the scandals has been very off-putting. So I think there's some of that. I think with some Nats fans, there is a resentment toward the football team for all of the attention that it gets. I think with some Commanders fans, there has been a resentment towards Nats fans because of how much better (laughs) the Nats have been than the football team for years. So there's a lot of weird, unique stuff that is played into all of this. But no doubt, like, it really would be nice if, you know, we all just got along, you know, because I, I think it's better for everybody. And, you know, especially nowadays with how competitive things are in the entertainment world. And, and, you know, sports are entertainment, right? And you're competing for people's precious disposable income. I think it's better when sports teams are working together and, you know, try to share their fan bases and grow together as opposed to being at war with each other. I just, I don't think that that's healthy. And, you know, let's be honest. So the commanders have done terrible in terms of home attendance these last few years. Now that's changing this season, but the team has not done well, has not drawn well for quite some time at FedEx Field. The Nationals are going through a rebuild. I think each team could use the other team right now. You know, I I don't think if you're the Nats, if you're Mark Lerner, that you should be thumbing your nose at any opportunity to expand your fan base. And I think if you're Josh Harris, the exact same thing. I think you should be welcoming with open arms new fans and people who maybe have been reluctant to go to your games in recent years. So yeah, I I think there's a real opportunity here. It's going to be cool in a few Thursday nights when the Commanders host the Chicago Bears on Thursday night football. That will be essentially Nationals night at FedEx Field. And so the Nats will have their day, their time to shine at FedEx. So I think that'll be cool. And, uh, you know, what would be really nice, and, you know, we had this in 2012, both teams being good at the same time. And if you think about this, you know, and and the NFL is a little different than MLB, but as the Nats come out of their rebuild in the coming years and Josh Harris and the Harris group establish their footing as owners, 
I don't think it's that far-fetched that each team is good at the same time in the coming years. And I think that would be great if you had the commanders doing well and you had the nationals doing well. That would really be something for D.C. You would also be cool if you're a fellow big walker, if you've ever taken the Anacostia River Trail, you can walk from RFK to Nats Park, basically mostly along the water. It's a very fun walk, and you really feel like you're in the nation's capital. It'd be a lot of fun on a Sunday. Maybe go to a one thirty Nats game and then a Sunday night game at RFK. That'd be a heck of a Sunday right there. Would be great. And like I said, we had this in 2012 when the Skins won the NFC East and the Nats won the National League East. And we thought that we were maybe in store to see that happen many more times in the coming years. And we did not. Now, the Nats did their part, but the Skins did not do their part. And um, maybe we can get back to that because what we had in 12 was special and uh, would love to see that happen multiple times here in the coming seasons. Well, you tell us what you think. Hit us up on Twitter at Nats underscore chat. You can email the show NatsChatPodcast at gmail.com. You can find us on our website too, NatsChatPodcast.com, at which you can buy a Nats Chat Podcast t-shirt. All Nationals radio highlights on Nats Chat are courtesy of 106.7 The Fan. Don't forget about the second annual Nats Chat Podcast Party at Walters, Friday evening, October 13th at 6.30. This installment of the Nats Chat Podcast has been brought to us by the Umps Care Charities East Coast Golf Classic, which is taking place Monday, October 16th at the beautiful Westfields Golf Club in Clifton, Virginia, with former umpire Sam Holbrook as the honorary guest. Visit umpscare.com for more information. A thank you to Tim Newmark for the Nats Chat Podcast music. Visit timnewmark.com. Next up for the Nats, game two of this four-game series against the Braves at Nationals Park. Friday night at 7.05, Patrick Corbin will be the Nats starting pitcher. For Tim Shovers, I'm Al Galdi. We'll talk to you next time on the Nats Chat Podcast. Here's the kick of the pitch. Swing and a slow ground ball left side. Shortstop Arcia has it. One play to first. Going to be close. On a time! Jacob Young with a speed beats it out. Garcia scores from third. The bases will still be loaded. It's an RBI ground ball infield hit to short for Young, his seventh RBI in the big leagues.